Let us deal with the passage before us today. Um, this passage is one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus. Did, any, did anybody get that once you read it? I mean, I read that passage and I go, am I going to hell? I mean, seriously. Are there times when I miss Jesus and I don't respond like I'm supposed to? And so I was, I was talking to the worship team about it, and they said, well, just change the passage. <laughs> and, and so I thought, what a great idea, you know. I'll just change the passage. I don't have to preach on this. I get, I get to choose, right? And I couldn't do it. God just kept needling me. And maybe I need this more than anybody else in the room. Maybe God wanted me to deal with this. Because I felt led by God to stay with this passage in spite of its difficulty. Now, just a little introduction. This passage is a part of what we call the Olivet Discourse. Right before um, the Last Supper, the uh, arrest and crucifixion, Jesus takes his disciples to the Mount of Olives for this teaching. And this is the very last story that Jesus tells to his disciples, the very last words of Jesus uh, in terms of teaching before he, the plan to arrest him. And, and it's not the last words, but the last words of teaching. Um, they're important words. And, and I think we had to put them in the context of where they are. This was, this was an emphasis that Jesus wanted his disciples to carry away. He wanted to make sure they understood the importance of mercy and justice. Now, this passage strikes a chord to who we are as, as followers of Jesus Christ. For as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to work for mercy and for justice for the least. We are to work for those who need it. Uh, and we should not be surprised about uh, uh, what Jesus is saying. This is what Matthew says about Jesus in chapter, in chapter 12. He quotes from Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. So this morning, as we deal with this passage, we're going to try to reconcile this, uh, this call to justice that, uh, and our own justification by faith and by faith alone, not by works. We're going to take a look at where Jesus is leading us as a people of God to be shaped like him to bring heaven and earth together in what we do in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words. And for all that I don't speak, Lord, speak, fill in the gaps. For all that I misspeak, oh God, may you correct it in our hearing. Hide me behind the cross. May this be your word. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start with a biblical definition of justice. And we can look throughout the Bible, but I want to, uh, um, I, I want to read from Zechariah, one of the prophets. 
it, because justice is defined as defending the vulnerable. Here's what Zechariah says. This is what the Lord God Almighty said. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And that's a thing that runs throughout the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, justice is defined as love made visible. When we love someone, we do whatever we can to help them in their time of need. James chapter 2 says this, 15 and 17. Support a brother or sister. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James links social action to faith, and we can't get around it. We cannot get around these words of Jesus in Matthew 25. The widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, the poor, are all groups that had no power in Jesus' day. They were vulnerable. And the Lord commanded his followers to show mercy and compassion toward them. And I would, I would say that, that he commands us to do the same for those who are powerless in our world today. That, you know, there are over 2,000 passages in the Bible on justice. Second only to idolatry. This is serious stuff. It is no wonder that... One of the last words of Jesus is to, to share with his disciples the importance of, of what it means to show mercy to one another, especially for those who need it. But the problem we have is the judgment in this passage. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it unto one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but righteousness, righteous into eternal life. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Now this, this seems to be in direct conflict with our evangelical understanding of salvation by faith and by faith alone. But i got to tell you, throughout the New Testament, this tension exists. There is a moral and ethical uh, uh, imperative not demand on who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are saved by grace. As Paul would say, we are saved by grace. Uh, uh, and should we therefore sin all the more so that grace may abound? And he says... By no means, no. As we are safe, so we are called to even greater works. He says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not any of your own doing, but a gift from God. Romans 5.1, Therefore we are justified by faith. Romans 5.6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. How do we reconcile this? 
Now, I, uh, you often hear me talk about Greek, and, and Paul, in his letters, is, is a master in, in the way that he uses the Greek uh, to, uh, to, to, to kind of in, just embed an added meaning. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to look at the Greek, and I'm going to find a loophole here. <laughs> All right? No. What it says, translated, is what it is. Matthew is very straightforward in how he writes this. There is no wiggle room. So how do we reconcile this passage to justification by faith? And, and I would say that many Christians, and, and even myself at times, we, we struggle with the whole issue of, 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 of works righteousness. Um, we worry about whether or not we've done enough to earn the promise of salvation and eternal life. When the Bible again and again says, for by grace you've saved through faith, it is not any of your own doing but a gift from God. And yet there is this demand. And Jesus here connects it to eternal punishment. Well, let's look at this passage from two different directions. I think, and I, and I could really, and I promise I won't do it today, but I could, I could go on for about three hours. <laughs> and I promise I won't do that. But let me just look at two things here, Okay. First is the timing of the words of Jesus. Um, Jesus speaks a punishment for those who don't show mercy just hours before his crucifixion. Okay? And, and the harsh nature of his teaching emphasizes our need for his sacrifice. There's no way that we can fully meet the demands of God's call for justice. And, and, and this is, you know, Matthew doesn't mind painting Jesus in this manner. Matthew, you know, as, as he quotes Jesus and tells the, tells the story of Jesus, he sets this huge high bar. And you wonder, how in the world am I ever going to live up to this demand of how to live for Jesus? By faith. And by faith alone. It is by faith that we are, are freed from our sin. There is no other way but through the sacrifice of Jesus for us to find the forgiveness for our failures. The second is the word righteousness. In Greek, the word that is used throughout the New Testament primarily for justice is dakaios, um, which is translated righteous, and it primarily means right living. But it, uh, it also means not just our right living, but how God looks and sees us. Okay? It implies the look of innocence from God, the look of approval, and just in the eyes of God. While those who are condemned by their failure to care and show acts of mercy, we are saved and made innocent by our faith in the shed blood of Jesus. The issue here is not just what we do, 
but how God looks upon us as God sees us through the forgiveness and suffering of Jesus. Does, does that make sense? You know? Does, does that make sense? The, the words from Jesus do not negate our salvation. It points the way to our need for salvation. F- further, it points beyond our salvation to what God is calling us to do as saved followers of Jesus Christ. Caring and showing mercy are the ways of Jesus. As we are saved through grace in Jesus Christ, so we grow in his image as we live for mercy and justice. All right, now, I want to make sure about this because um, I just want to be clear. Should we ignore passages like this because our salvation is clear? And the answer is absolutely not. As I said earlier, that's not what, that's not what salvation by faith means. Jesus is showing his disciples and us through these words the way to a deeper life with him. As, our, as we are shaped like Jesus, our hearts long for justice for all people. We experience a, a, a part of what we talk about in, in, in the Methodist church, sanctification, that growing in the faith, that growing closer to Jesus, that living more in the Jesus-shaped life. And, and, and really, in the sense, as we look at, at what Jesus is saying here and what the entire New Testament is saying about mercy and justice, it, it is also a means of grace. You know, we see a means of grace, we come to communion, to to commune with, 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 with Christ and, and to remember his suffering. And, and as we remember his suffering, we, we feel that presence and we are in some way changed. When we pray, when we read the scriptures, when we worship, when we, um, <laughs> when we show mercy and justice, we grow in our faith. We grow more like Jesus and it's not a once and for all event it is a growth day by day month by month year by year step by step now we should not ignore passages like this for Jesus is showing us a deeper life so why is this so important to Jesus Justice is the reflection of heaven on earth. Justice is the reflection of heaven on earth. Two passages. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray. How does it begin? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly. In heaven, there is no sin and everything is as God originally intended. And when we pray the Lord's of the prayer, we are asking for those realities right in our zip code. We are promising to follow the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 to live for mercy and justice. And the second passage is in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
kingdom of God is lived when God is fully in charge, when we seek first the kingdom of God. Seeking God's kingdom means that we don't, and I know this is going to be a little controversial. I hope y'all don't send me a lot of emails. If you want to, that's fine. Um, we don't form our position based on politics or ideology. That's not our purpose. The true follower of Jesus Christ lives by kingdom principles, not political platforms or social norms. Now, I know that they are important for our society. I know that because we are a broken society and we're trying to find our way forward. But no single human ideology mirrors the values of the kingdom of God. No human ideology mirrors the kingdom of God. There is only one, there is only one, and that is through the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture, as we, as we strive and, and, and work to be, and sh- to be more like Jesus, to be shaped like Jesus, to be guided by what it means to be kingdom people. That means that we approach justice by asking, how can I express love in this situation? And or what would the resolution of this situation look like in heaven? To bring earth or to bring heaven to earth. In this sense, the gospel offers real life hope. Hope grounded in a true story of a savior above all superheroes that might be created in this world. A superhero that doesn't kill the villains but dies for the villains so that they might, so that they might be saved. And the church at its best offers genuine community where that gospel is celebrated, where brokenness is healed, childish things are put away, and we live a moral and spiritual maturity where we grow in grace as we are shaped more like Jesus. Where we grow in grace as we are shaped more like Jesus. Now, in closing, there's another part of this scripture that troubles me. And I, I don't know whether you noticed it when Cindy read it, but did you notice that both the righteous and the cursed didn't recognize Jesus? Did you notice that? Both of them said, well, where did we see you? We fall into the same trap, don't we? Our schedules, our excuses, our hurry. We fall in the same trap. In 2007, Joshua Bell, where's David? you know who Joshua Bell is? Oh, yeah, he's one of the great violinists in the world. Uh, Freddie's twin, okay. All right. Really? I'm better looking. Better looking, okay. Well, he was in Washington, D.C. for a series of concerts in 2007 where the cheapest ticket was $100. So the Washington Post thought... Hey, let's try something. Let's see what happens if we can't take Joshua Bell, put him in the Washington Metro, dress him like one of the street musicians, and see what the reaction is. So Joshua Bell comes to the Metro, takes his 
uh, violin that was made in 1713 worth over $3.5 million out of its case, left the case open, put a few dollars in there, you know, as street musicians do to kind of salt the, you know, the giving. And he played uh, some of the greats of Mozart and Schubert for 43 minutes. They counted, okay? 1,097 people passed by Bell's concert. Seven stopped to listen to him play. One recognized him. Seventeen stopped long enough to make a donation. Whereas a ticket would have cost you at least $100, he made $32. Twenty of it came from the guy that recognized him, you know. How often do we miss Jesus? How many times do we miss the opportunity to show justice and mercy to the presence of Jesus in those who are suffering? How many times have we missed the opportunity to grow in grace? How many times have we missed being shaped like Jesus? Because our lives are all consuming. And so I want you to consider this. Slow down. Stop for whatever. Just just practice a little bit each week or each day. And open your eyes to see what might what God might be presenting to you. Because this is what I believe. That Jesus is right in front of us. Every day, in every place, in every situation. Jesus is there if we but just open our eyes to see.